How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, baby. Hello, my love. Here we are, back in the same room together. Back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Lockdown, uh, lockdown's kind of easing up a little bit, um, and uh, so the two of us are here in the same studio. Uh, the studio is not set up for <laughs> two of if, us. If um, uh, 
If you're a $5 patron or up, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash turn me on and look at how strange it is that Jeremy and I are in the same room recording this lovely episode together. Um, and I'm sitting basically directly behind him and off to the left. Yep. That's it. Facing the back of his head. That is it. That's the COVID way. That is the way. This is the way. Um, I just lost sound in my headphones. You didn't lose me though. Did you? I didn't. Okay, great. Um, do we? Do you want to fix that? No, it's okay. It what? It came back. Oh, okay. Oh, now it's gone. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just pop it off my ear so I can hear you. Here, let's uh, let's fix that. Um, it uh, went in out. Oh, it's back. Is it? It's back. Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> You're going to give me a round of applause? Um, no, I was going to. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> folks, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we are very excited for this week's guest, yeah. uh, Kat Nance. Man, what, what a fucking sweet, sweet conversation uh, that we had. Uh, I'm very excited for it. Some really interesting stuff that I think we've only briefly touched on in in other worlds and in other ways but just listening back to this conversation just prior to this today I, I there were so many things i just mm. wrote down just to remember um yeah it's nice when you talk to someone who i mean this is cat's work but when you talk to someone who's so grounded in what they're talking about that they just have a way of describing it, yeah. essentially, that, that is unlike anything you've ever heard before. And we will get into that conversation, but uh, Kat Nance is a somatic pleasure and relationship coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we dive deep into the work of, uh, of uh, somatics. And uh, is, that, is that how you'd say it? Somatics? I, I guess so. We really, I feel like when I, when I listened back and I, and I heard Kat describe, like, basically her title... And then knowing where it went, I was like, wow, we really, uh, we really grabbed the wheel on that and took it, took it to like trauma town. We sure did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, full up, full, full disclosure. Um, I, I like broke down in the middle of the recording. I cut that part out. It was a little too personal, but, uh, but I had a full <laughs> meltdown. It was very, you know, it, it, it hit really close to home. That's it. That's it. When I think that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like when someone speaks to you about something that like, mm. It pierces into you. If you mm-hmm. go, mm-hmm, this is true. This is true, and I feel it. Yeah, yeah. It the- was uh, it was quite interesting. Uh, very excited to throw to that conversation. But before we do, uh, we're going to talk about some fun stuff. Um, let's. <laughs> I, I think you know. Let's start off. Let's start off with this. Actually, Bridie, I, di- I didn't tell you about this. Uh, this is very. I, th- I thought this would be very entertaining. Um, this is from the New York Post. Uh, uh, emergency crew rescues sex doll after mistaking it for a drowning woman. <laughs> this took place in Japan. Oh, I love it. Uh, the New York Post goes on to say here, they issued an SOS, save our sex doll. Look out, they're here all Whoa. week, folks. A team of emergency rescue divers was flummoxed after responding to the scene of a nude drowning woman, only to, to discover that it was actually a floating life-sized sex doll. This is the image that um, a woman, a YouTuber, Natsuki Tanaka, came across. Um, uh, she, she chronicled the whole thing via Twitter. Um, she witnessed this floating. <gasps> now that's, I mean, look, folks, if you want to see what we're looking at, you could either Google the New York Post ad or, or, or um, 
article, or you could follow us on on Patreon. But if you saw that floating in the wood, in the, I will one hundred percent. That looks like a looks like fucking corpse, floating corpse. Yeah, yeah it's gnarly. Um, Wait, so, I can't tell from this distance. Is the doll wearing any clothes? It doesn't look like it. Actually, yeah. it does look like uh, it has maybe a top. Yeah, it has like a looks like a, maybe a a bandeau. Um, I don't know what that is, but uh, <laughs> some pink underwear and like a pink sort of nighty top. Okay. Um, so while filming a fishing video, I thought a dead body was floating in the water and had washed up, but it was a blow up doll. Tanaka wrote about the strange scene, which occurred last week. Uh, this happened in Hachinohi off of the coast of Japan's Northeast coast, um, or on the, on Japan's Northeast coast. Sorry. Um, she added that someone else had mistakenly phoned the authorities over the drowning woman, which prompted a Blues Brothers-esque army of emergency <sighs> services to arrive, ready to rescue what they thought was a person in peril. And uh, Please can, tell me there's a photo of them posing with the sex doll. This is a photo of them Whoa. pulling the doll. Whoa, that so, looks so gnarly. <laughs> it does look so gnarly. It's a pull, so for listeners only, uh, it's this like rescuer hoisting this soaking wet and probably super heavy sex doll out of the harbor. And it's very clear in this photo that it is not a human woman, yeah. but uh, a sex doll. Um, thankfully, the adult toy was rescued safely, according to Tanaka. Uh, but it's unclear how the blow-up doll ended up in the water. Perhaps, well, see, that's what's going to fuck with me. It's like seeing right? a weird one shoe in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like one baby shoe. You're like, whoa. What's the story ominous. here? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we talked about this on, on sick boy, um, uh, for this coming Friday's episode. And we were like, Brian was convinced that like, it was like, you know, a seaman was just tired of his, his like mate on the sea and, and oh, toss I it off see. to the side. But uh-huh. according to the New York post here, um, uh, one Twitter user who also documented the bizarre rescue chalked up the incident to illegal dumping of oversized trash. Oh. Which is unsurprising, given Japan's stringent laws concerning garbage disposal. Uh, so it could be, could be that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's really interesting. So that yeah. makes sense to me. That it was just, it was like in a garbage heap, and someone just unknowingly dumped it. You know, there's so much fucking shit in harbors. Yeah, that's true. I see. I was kind of picturing like, okay, there's like a bachelor party on a yacht, yeah, and right, someone right. brings it. So I was thinking that, but then I remember off the boat. But then I remembered uh, Yuri Tolichko from Kazakhstan. Do you remember him? No, what's that? Um, Yuri Tolochko from Kazakhstan married his silicone love, Margot, in November 2020. Right, um, right. But somehow, just before Christmas, she had to go to a sex doll doctor to be repaired. Um, and I hmm. believe that... Uh, that one of his 99,000 followers asked him if he was cheating on his wife because he had another doll um, who he ended up getting pretty close to. And I think he and his original doll did end up getting a divorce um, Hmm. because he fell in in love with another. You don't say. Yeah. That's Um, interesting. Yeah. Tolochko has previously claimed Margot had a waitressing job at a local bar. This is very interesting because I, I feel like um, uh, Mr. What's his name? Tolochko. Tolochko. Hmm. Maybe I, th- he 
maybe something something dark is afoot. You know what I really fucking love about that story is that so and then, look, I, I, like peop, we we've talked at length on this show about the use of like real life sex dolls and and how how they do really like play uh, an important role in some people's lives and like I th- I think they're fucking way, I think it's awesome I think it's awesome that 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 mm-hmm. that exists and that you can get the like you can get a doll the quality of just like mind blowing quality yeah I think it's all great. I do. There's something so interesting about that story about that guy from from uh, Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in that, like, he's so committed to the the role play. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, if he wanted to, he could be like, "I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a fucking I'm a shink a sheik with like concubines. I, mm-hmm. I have I have all the all the women I want." Um, but, but that's not what, that's not what floats his boat. He likes, he likes the, like, uh, you know, this, this notion of like, I am committed to this one particular woman and, Mm. but then, oh no, Uh I'm now, I'm now attracted to this, maybe this younger model and, uh, no pun intended there. (laughs) And, uh, and and so now he's he's like you know he's facing the woes the 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 woes of of that h- humans face when when you know struck with with wandering eyes and and uh, adultery and those things and I love that I love I love that like I love that I'm assuming that's what's happening here I and should get him that, on the show yeah I wonder if I get him on the show because like. There is a level of, like you said, commitment mm. to the role play that is, you know, I'm just, I just, I'd, I'd already read all of this, but I, I, it's so interesting. So they got, he married his partner and then, um, and then after he, cause he's like a kind of a well-known bodybuilder. And after he, um, posted his wedding photos, um, he said, uh, when I presented her photo to the world, there was a lot of criticism and she began to develop a complex. So we decided to get plastic surgery. Um, so he took her to like a human plastic surgery place and they did some work on her. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't think we covered this on the show. Oh no. This is news to me. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is foreign to me. Okay. I have a bad memory, but I think I would have remembered that. All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, it would be neat to speak to him just to get a sense of. How does it work? Yeah. How does it work? Did you watch, uh, did you watch, um, oh fuck. I've talked about it on the show. Uh, the new, it was a newish Amazon series that just came out about the, the guy who's, who's trying to like implant, trying to merge brains with his partner. Um, and it's like a sort of, it's a comedy. Oh, no, I haven't. Uh, oh fuck! I haven't heard of that or seen that. God, someone's out there listening, just screaming the name of the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, the woman in it, her dad Ray Romano, played by Ray M- Romano, has a ha- his his wife is a sex doll, and he goes and he's known in the town oh, as like the, the weird pervert. But right. like he takes her to on dates, and they go and they have dinner, and and he's like, I don't give a fuck with what the town thinks. Like fuck all these people, um, and. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting and and actually really like sweet part of the show. It's a very something very wholesome about it. You know, my dad always said the best conversation <clears throat> is 
conversation you have with yourself. So like, I mean, I feel like maybe that could be a real ideal relationship, companionship, you know? Yeah, it could be. Absolutely. Um, uh, The New York Post article here goes on to say, thankfully, one Japanese company has devised a more tasteful, eco-friendly way to put one's inflatable paramours out to pasture. By throwing them a funeral, complete with candles, undertakers, and even mourning mannequins. Wait, did they do that for the doll they pulled out of the water? No. uh, This is a Japanese company that's going, hey, don't throw your fucking dolls in Uh, the harbor. Yeah. Hire us and we'll we'll throw you a, a, a doll funeral. Oh my, well, that, I mean, that's what I mean. I like, that. could something nefarious be happening? Like, could this be a, like a... A serial, ki- a doll killer? A serial doll killer? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, a homicide. Uh, uh, I don't think that would be called a homicide. Oh. It would be, it would be uh, uh, a mannequin side. Okay. A doll or something. Side? Yeah, doll aside, doll aside, doll aside. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, very, uh, that <laughs> very curious. You know who we should send that to is um, we should send it to our friend uh, uh, Dr. J and see if she wants she can incorporate mm. it into her one of her uh, get her to write erotic a stories. Story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's move right along here. Uh, this is uh, very very fun. So, Brad, you sent this uh, this article through Slack. This yeah. is actually a CBC article coming from the Nature of Things. Love. Love our Canada Canadian content. Love it. Uh, these snails have sex for up to eight hours straight in the Canadian forest. So this is all about snails. I didn't know much. About, I don't know much about snails. Uh, but uh, this little article kind of uh, made me appreciate snails on a whole nother level. <laughs> um, actually, let's uh, let's play this video. And and this is uh, for listeners at home. You don't need to see the video. You can just hear it. But if you want to see it, go to patreon.com slash termion. Apart from hunger, there's another thing that's driving this little fellow. It wants to look for a mate. Most European snails are hermaphrodites. They're both male and female. This is incredibly convenient, since a snail can literally mate with any other individual it encounters. After they've coupled, both partners are able to lay eggs and produce baby snails. This music is great. These two little lovebirds cling together, soul to soul, and move into an upright position. Then they shoot love arrows at each other, loaded with a cocktail of hormones. (laughs) That's so aggressive. needs to hit its mark pretty accurately. The more hormones transferred from one animal to the other, the more eggs are fertilized. Snails aren't particularly faithful to their partners, and any opportunity to couple must be seized. Oh, slutty snails. Will take snail hours sluts. and hours, but it's a pace that matches the rest of Dude, a snail's that, life. Look at that thing, the spike. Yeah, that's, I didn't notice that before. So, yeah, so in that video, the thing that you can't see is the, the love arrows. They're like, they're literally stabbing th- like into and through the membrane of the snail. Yeah, it's fuck. It's very aggressive. But um, the thing that I found so interesting is that so so like they said in the video, snails are hermaphrodites. They both have male and female sex organs, um, which are located on their face. On their face, they. I love the idea of thinking if as like if humans evolved that way, mm-hmm. if we fucked with our faces, mm-hmm. because like sometimes when I'm like I am a I am a very much a 
passionate kisser. I like tongue. <laughs> I liked playing with tongues in my mouth. I love, I love, I, man, you, I like it, my ideal death is to just die from tongue suffocation. Like that to me is like, all right, cool. I'm down. I'm down to go out that way. <clears throat> Whoa. So sometimes when I'm making out, I'm thinking to myself like, this must look so silly. Like this just must look, I must look, now I'm like, I look like a snail. I'm just fucking with my face. Nothing grosses me out than more than movie, movie making out. Sometimes I just, it's nice. Sometimes it's good. So, well, I mean, yeah, if they get it right, but the, when they throw in those, like those kind oh, of sounds. The sounds yeah, you, I mean, the sounds coming from those snails, I guarantee you, if you got real close. What would it sound like? Oh, fuck yeah. So much Oh, fuck yeah. Tiny little. Um, masters of heavy petting or extreme vetting, potential mates, will spend up to an hour biting, circling, and touching tentacles. The chemistry has to be just right. So, so these, these, um, these snails can stay together fucking for up to eight hours. I love the idea of that hour of just like their tentacles, like moving around because that's the most interesting part of the snail to me you know when you when you see a snail up close it doesn't look like much it looks like a booger in a shell but it it has these two definite little like knobs yeah on the end of little poles out of their head i always thought they were their eyes and and probably that's what i thought they too. probably kind of function that way like they probably take in information that way um the way that we do with our eyes but uh oh they do snails have eyes on the tips of their tentacles oh so they're literally okay so they're biting each other's eyes in the case of the pulmonates which are lung breathers who have two pairs of tentacles the eyes sit at the top tip top tip of the top pair even though they have uh, a lens on their eye, they have no muscles to focus the images. How the fuck do we know that? That's insane. How do we know How do we that? We know all this shit. But so, right. So you can see here in this image here, Bridie, if you Google search, you can see they have the eyes up here and then they have these little like these other little tentacles down on the bottom, which I guess they're part of their, I mean, part of their sex organs, I guess. Man, snails are crazy. It blows my mind that they have lungs. What do you mean lung breathers? I mean, of course they do. But they look like a clear, like a solidified fat. Oh, yeah. Look at that. They got lungs. They have a liver. They have kidneys. They they have a drinkers. They have a stomach. Wow. Yeah. They have vast deferens. Whoa. Jesus. Are we part snail? Yeah, what do we share with the snail? I've been thinking a lot about, um, I've been thinking, this is, you know what, this is, maybe this is for a completely different podcast, but I've been thinking a lot about, like, the, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about aliens lately. Because mm-hmm. we're, we're due for this, like. Visit? Uh, well, we're due for a visit, but we're, we're, I mean, we're not due for a visit. We've been getting visits. Um, but we're due for this, uh, this sort of uh, disclosure document that's coming out uh in a couple of days i think it's like oh two days away god you're gonna have the to US explain government. it to me um but anyway whatever that's we don't have to get into that but i've been thinking a lot about this idea of panspermia and like which is the notion of um so i think this is debunked but like there there was I, there was a theory and maybe it still is a theory there was this theory that like octopi because if you look at octopus on the evolutionary scale 
or the evolutionary tree rather they are they are uh, they are their own like unique organism that just like we can't place where the, how did where did the, what did they evolve from we don't know if you're out there and that's wrong send me an email i i don't I, i'm a fucking idiot i don't know anything but but there was that there was i know at least a, a working theory that octopi uh potentially could have actually become a part of this planet through the means of panspermia, which is this notion that um, the organism that they derived from came from space. Right. So like like a meteor or something. Sure. Sure. Like say, say Venus. So, So Venus used to be very much like earth, right? So let's say like millions and millions and millions of years ago, Venus is, is not this like hot, uh, gaseous, like hellscape, and is much like Earth. And then this massive comet or whatever hits Venus, and there's all these living organisms on that planet. And that big destructive uh, asteroid blasts a bunch of pieces of Venus into the into the its its atmosphere and out past its atmosphere, and and then some of those particles get pulled into. Earth's gravitational pull and fall to Earth. And there were organisms on those pieces of rock that survived that travel. And became women, right? Because women are from Venus? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is why I'm thinking about it because I'm thinking like, you know, anyway, uh, well, we are, we're going down. I got to get off this. Cat and Nance is probably listening to this like per, before her conversation going, what the fuck are they talking about? I'm sorry, Cat. Um, Go back to the snails. But I was, I was thinking about like, you know, this whole thing with aliens and, and there's a lot of discussion about like, you know, maybe they're not from outer space, but maybe they're from interspace. Maybe they're from, maybe they've been here all along and they're coming out from the ocean and, you know, yada, yada, whatever. They're drones, whatever. But this thought of like, perhaps maybe human, maybe humans are a product of panspermia. Like maybe we mm-hmm. came here. Maybe we ended up arriving here from, you know, some other planetary body. And I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. That has crossed my mind a number of times. I, you know, I like I don't I don't read as much about aliens and I don't know as much about space as you or anybody, I'm not like my, everything I've heard or learned about both of those subjects, I've pretty much heard from you. Um, but I remember a long time ago thinking like maybe, maybe, you know, we just, maybe we destroyed another planet first and then we like, or a planet that humans had began evolving on got destroyed. And then we ended up here because, because I, I just feel like, there's this kind of knowing that we have mm. as like beings that it seems to me like we have a, a knowledge of something that came before mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And that's always struck me as the case. And when you just said that, when, when you said that about Venus, I didn't know that Venus used to be yeah, yeah. different. You, it, it, Venus used to be, um, like Earth, it used to be like a like probably a a, a habit a, um, a habitable, habitable habitable uh planet. Like humans would have been able to survive in that. Like, was there oxygen in the I atmosphere? Believe so. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's why that's why Venus when, is considered like the sister planet to Earth. Yeah, because so when you said that, I was like, oh, Venus is the, the Venus is the Eden. Venus is the Eden that we we destroyed already, or that that. Uh, 
you know, a rock destroyed. And I, I really feel like I think there's, there's probably some sad truth to that. Well, maybe we'll find out on maybe June 25th. We, please tell me what you find in that because uh, I think it's going to be a big uh, letdown, but really? Yeah. I think I, there's some like, <laughs> we got to get off. They this. dropped all the interesting stuff. We got to get off this topic because I it's a psyops. It's all psyops. It's just it's just something fucking fishy's going on with the government. Anyway, <laughs> uh, folks, let's. Oh, you know what? I do have a quick just the tips. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, for those of you who are maybe are new to the podcast, just the tips is a little segment where uh, Bridie and I give a recommendation to something, uh, some and anything doesn't even have to anything, have anything to do with relationships or sex or anything. Uh, my just the tips this week. Folks, I'm telling you right now, if you are driving and listening to this, pull a U-turn wherever you're going. Just stop, pull up into the, the nearest grocery store, go in there oh my God. and purchase a bag of Tostitos, hint of lime, okay? And then go down into the salsa aisle and find any mango or pineapple salsa. It can be either one of those. The combination, the combination <laughs> of fucking hint of lime Tostitos and a fruity based salsa is my crack. I am so addicted. It is such a perfect combination. You don't even need cheese. You don't, you don't, you know, it's like the most basic chip salsa snack and it is to die for. Wow. Now. If you want to step it up a notch, if uh -oh. you have a very intense hot sauce, take just a little smidgen of that, drop it into the salsa, mix it in, boom. You're, uh, you are, you're living. Get that guac out of here. We don't need that shit here. Get the guac out of here. <laughs> um, Do you have one? Yeah. Did I use this one last week? I know I've been like. I don't think we've done just the tips in a minute. Okay. Well, I think I've been talking about this show for a long time. Um, I've there's only like eight episodes, maybe. Um, oh yeah, six no, or seven I, episodes. You haven't. You haven't. I haven't. No, no. Okay. If you're driving right now and listening to this, <laughs> pull a U-turn, go back home, sit on your couch, turn on Netflix, and watch this documentary, Human: The World Within. And like I said, there's several episodes. They've, they've got cool names like React and Pulse and Fuel and Defend and Sense and Birth. And these are all addressing aspects of basically our physiology and biology as human mm, beings. Yeah, I like that. And it is like, you know, when they say knowledge is power, that when you... Maybe not every minute of every episode will grab you. And, and maybe you'll have to like, you know, not everyone's a doc person. Maybe you'll have to sit and like, and, and focus and sort of, and, and treat it like an assignment. Mm. But you are bound to have your mind blown at, at least once per episode. Just the sheer, the sheer organization mm. of the body of the human body to do all the things that we do it. We take it for such granted yeah. and it's fucking magic. Cool. It's just, it's literally electricity and, and 
you know, when you talk about when you're having a really shitty day and you like zoom out and you remember like, we're all going to die. Those are those, it's, it presents a lot of those kinds of, of, of moments. It's Mm. more, more like a, wow, I, I can't believe how well this thing works. And the things that we've decided to do with it are beside the point. Just the things it's capable of is, it's just incredible. Anyway, go watch it. I mean, again, you know, it's not that crazy to think we came from another planet. Not at all. Especially when we came, we all started as one cell. Yeah. Big. Yeah, it's crazy. That could travel easily on a rock through space. Yeah, 100%. One cell. All right. Well, this was an interesting uh, little <laughs> intro. Uh, folks, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Kat Nance because it really was uh, just a, an absolute treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, be sure to follow her on Instagram. Go check out her website. Uh, her website is katnance.com, K-A-T-N-A-N-T-Z.com. Um, and uh, yeah, check out the work that she does because it's uh, it's very important work and I think probably pretty useful for a lot of the people that uh, are out there listening right now. And I feel like I can say this even though I haven't worked with her, um, but I, you're in good hands, I, w- I would say, in yeah. a good container. So this is our conversation with Kat Nance, and uh, like always, we will see you on the other side. We are rocking and rolling. <laughs> That's how we bow into our um, yeah, yeah, our Zoom it. sessions. That's it. It's just a clap party. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> well, I'm excited um, to get into today's conversation. I feel like I feel like uh, there's a wide array of things that we could potentially get into. Um, uh, Kat, why don't you? Why don't you? Let's start this entire thing off by giving you the floor to introduce yourself to our listeners and give them a little bit of insight into the work that you do. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited by the way. Um, so I'm Kat Nance. I'm a somatic sex coach. So you, most of your listeners will be familiar with the, so the uh, sex coach piece and maybe not the somatic piece. Mm. Uh, the somatic piece is in the body. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I realized that it just skipped there. So I hope that's okay. So, Okay. The somatic piece is in the body. So my approach is bottom up, um, working with the fact that 80% of the information our body receives of our neural pathways are in our body going up to our brain. Um, so I work with a lot of folks around sexual trauma, uh, and rewriting a lot of patterns that show up in relationships. So I'd say like, there's like a very small handful of patterns that show up in relationships. People show up to me and I'm like, ah, I know this pattern. Um, so I'm usually doing a lot of work in that realm. Um, and relationship dynamics. That's so cool. Can you can you be a little more specific about patterns that show up in relationships? Like what kinds of patterns are we talking about? Like communication yeah. breakdown patterns or or like what what do you what do you mean when you say that? Okay, so this is the most common dynamic that I see in couples. Uh, usually the person who identifies as woman shows up to me, feels like something's wrong with them. I have low sex drive, I don't know what's wrong. 
I just want to figure that out because I feel like it, you know, it's really impacting our relationship. And then what we end up finding out is it's, it's not, that's not really the issue. There ends up being a lot of small boundary ruptures within the relationship where the person's body doesn't feel safe opening to sex. So they can, they start to contract. And then there's a lot of things mm. that play, <clears throat> that play into that. Like, um, you know, the fact that like, you know, women often don't feel safe saying no. And so then that plays in because they often endure sex. So, so that's an example. So they show up and, and we start to explore that and we realize, well, this is work that you actually want to be doing with your partner. Um, because there's this beautiful opportunity to repair there. Um, but we're not used to doing the repair, right? So a lot of couples are sort of like going to their own corners and in, in, in their own, um, place of, of feeling hurt by the dynamic of like, we're, you know, we're not having the sex we want to be having, um, <clears throat> you know, often it's like the other partner has more heat in their body. They have more sexual arousal. They're not getting their needs met. The other partner feels like they have to override their needs and they endure through sex. And so a lot, when I'm working with couples anyway, it's often uncoupling this dynamic in their relationship. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. But I feel like you just described like the first relationship problem that I've run into in every relationship. I, I was looking at your screen, Friday, while, while <laughs> Kat was describing that. I was going, I think, I think Bridie's going to say something about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Sounds familiar. It's made me really think about, um, like what you said, like overriding your needs and you know how, since I started having sex, like right before I turned 18 and the first year of, of sex was, well, the first many years of sex was with this one partner that I had. But I remember like distinctly probably a year or so in being like having sex and being like, I don't really want to be here right now. This is not mm. what I want to be doing. And not necessarily feeling like distressed about it. Just being like, I guess this is how it is sometimes. So when people come to you and they have these patterns and, you know, and they're there by themselves, how do you then like turn the mirror to them and be like, well, actually you're going to need your partner to like do this with you. Mm. Yeah. Well, the first thing we start with is, um, doing some repair to the boundary ruptures. So we do a lot of somatic body-based exercises that support people in realizing like, Hey, I have boundaries. My first boundary is actually like this line of defense, my skin. And so we work with getting like a really felt sense of their boundaries. And the more that we are in touch with the places that we endure and the places that we override our needs, the less we, the less tolerable it becomes. Right. So if we're just sort of floating and mostly living in our head and, 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 and really sort of disassociating during those experiences, like leaving our body and just saying, okay, we'll just wait this out or ride it out or whatever. Um, we like the, the goal is to bring people back into their body so that that doesn't feel tolerable anymore. And so when that begins to not feel tolerable, then it, it becomes easier to express your boundaries or understand why the boundaries are actually there, why that state of contraction is happening so often. And contraction is normal, right? Like that's a normal part of our cyclical nature, contraction mm -hmm. and expansion. But if we're staying in a state of contraction, then then now our body is wired to only look for things that are that feel, yeah, like threatening or dangerous, right? Like my partner moving their body towards me in a certain way. I'm like, nope, contraction. And so we start associating and overcoupling all of these other pieces in our relationship. And then our body just becomes a no. So we want to like slowly de-thaw those places and, and, and let our body know these are not actually threats. 
So the piece with the bringing the partner in is, I mean, if you have a partner at home who's just going to keep doing the same things that your body is perceiving as a threat, then yeah, your body's going to keep going into contraction because that pattern is so toned, right? And so I just, I I really try to frame it like being in relationships, such a beautiful opportunity to heal our wounding. Like we're all wounded. We've all got stuff and nobody escapes their childhood without it. And our relationships, you know, our bodies are compelled to be in relationship with people who are going to help us sort those things out. And so there's no, it's not a surprise that we end up in relationship with people who bump up against these dynamics, right? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so why not lean in and say, okay, let's get curious here. Like, what, what is this for us? What is this dynamic? Can we bring up more curiosity? Because what we often do is we're like, you don't get me. It's like we move into Mm. isolation, right? And then we try to have, you know, conversations from a really activated place. And then we think that we're talking here, but really the body's having the conversation. The bodies are the ones Mm. that are running the show. And we think it's us, right? Like our cognitive thinking brain. So the somatic piece is like, let's, let's see what, what the body's saying. Let's get into collaboration with, with your body here. Do you, do you ever, um, do you ever find yourself, um, coming into like coming into, uh, do you ever find yourself working with couples where the, 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 the bumping up against each other has been so constant and has been so grading and has been so like um intense on and 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 problematic to the relationship that when it gets to this point where they they make the realization with you that like oh oh we need to find this curiosity in order to to um to I'm I'm trying to use the the same uh, sort of descriptors that you were using there um uh but i'm there i was i was so engrossed with what you were saying that i completely forgot what you were saying but uh like let me let me take this back do you ever find yourself working with couples where they've found such a struggle in the dynamic of their relationship where they're almost to the point where they they can't find that curiosity within themselves to to do the work and if so where do you come in in order to try to help them through that? And, and is that possible? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I often, I work with a lot of people who are at that point because they've, they've sort of waited until things got really bad. And, and, and often they've tried a lot of other things. Like they've tried conventional therapy. It, it, it like supports them to an extent, right. It's, it, but but the problem is in the body, right? And so mm. we have to go into the body to see what's happening. And often um, these, you know, these folks don't have a lot of uh, like somatic intelligence, right? Like that they've been pulled out of their bodies their whole life, like all of us have. Mm-hmm. And if we have a lot of discomfort happening in our body, going back in there doesn't feel that great. And so the approach is often like a slow thaw. So we're looking for other ways outside of the body to create a sense of safety. And even right now, it's like, you know, I'm sitting in my office. I love the color of this couch and I can see it in the video. And then I've got trees. I can see trees around me. So even just like orienting my my body to the, the sense of safety in my room, things that look pleasant and pleasurable to mm. look at. Mm-hmm. So we want to tone their body to be <laughs> able to notice pleasure again, pleasure opportunities. What are the opportunities of pleasure around you? Like, how can you be letting your body know that it's actually safe? 
And so if we've spent a lot of time in that pattern, then we've spent a lot of time out of our body, likely, um, especially as the person enduring. And then the other person is usually closed and shut down, feeling really hard, stone wall, right. um, because they, they feel rejected so much. And so they're doing a lot of this. And then the other partner is often like overriding their needs to try and shift things and then also like contracting themselves. Right. And so neither of those partners are feeling safe in the relationship. So we want to bring play back in. So we do a lot of games, games that we would play as a kid, hide and seek, um, different games to just like for them to have a lot of fun together and to come back into attunement because they're so like over here, right? Like one person's in fight or flight, the other person's in freeze and shut down. And so we want to bring them back and line them back into attunement and have their bodies feel like they can collaborate together again. Man, I love this. I, I have, um, uh, like just uh, anytime we talk about somatic experiencing and, and getting back to the body, I think a lot about the exercises and like the four years of theater school that Jeremy and I did together. And, and now what you're talking about, this is something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, especially is like the creation of a, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A creation of, a babe, what's it called when you bring a group of actors together and they work together in a show an ensemble ensemble work i was gonna say a shit show but yes yes an ensemble works too (laughs) so creating how to create an ensemble out of a group of strangers and getting them together and what it 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 is it's a lot of this like um a lot of zip zap zop well it's a lot of like move yes exactly games but like moving (laughs) around each other like in space mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. like where you're doing your own thing, but you're aware of each other. And, and anyway, all of this like ensemble, bu- ensemble building is, is really powerful stuff and, and the somatic stuff. But when we were in school and doing this work, I remember a lot of emotion and there yeah. was no talking about like, by the way, if you have some previous trauma, like <laughs> this might be, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. might fire you up. They're just like, there's none of that. It was just like, you're in it and you're doing it. And you're, sometimes you're crying. Sometimes you're like, you're crying so hard. You've got snot running down your face, you know? So what, when it comes to safety and somatic experiencing, that seems like a very, I don't want to say dangerous, but it's, it's a very thin line. I would imagine that you walk as a therapist when you're guiding people through this work. Like how do you address trauma when it's, when someone's like, Oh, I, you asked me to soften and open up like around my throat, let's say like, I have a lot of tension here and now, now I'm howling, like Mm -hmm. help me put the pieces back together. How does this all, how does this all lead towards me having more pleasure in my life? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, first the theater is, is, you know, a fantastic somatic playground, right? Like the, mm-hmm. like it's a really great way to get into your body and to attune to other bodies. And so lots of SE work, somatic experiencing incorporates some of these, <laughs> these, like some of that playground, right? Um, it's containment, right? The containment piece, like somatic experiencing, like the biggest piece of our training is containment. Like how do we hold the big things and, and I remember one of my, a good friend of mine, an assistant, he said, uh, during one of our trainings, and it's a really intense training, right? Because like somebody's poking around in our nervous system who doesn't have any experience doing it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's very up- upheavaling. 
Is that a word? Upheavaling? I mean, I I'm with know. you. I'm writing I'm it with down. You. Yeah. <laughs> You're with me. You got it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> And so, it, well, one, it gives us a good map. Hey, this is what it feels like. It's really intense, right? It's, it's, it's a lot to trust somebody with your body. So what he said was presence is the best intervention. Mm. And I was like, yes, presence is the best intervention. And so my job as a practitioner is to hold. <laughs> and I don't know that everybody really gets what that means, but really what it is, is that I'm the settled body in the room. Mm. None of my stuff is coming in. So I'm not I'm not merging with my, my clients. I'm not going into a state of like disappearing and losing a sense of self. So I have a really strong sense of self. I have a, a strong sense of my boundaries. And with that, I'm able to hold whatever comes up for them. And the other piece is that it's, it's titrated, right? Like, like SE work is very titrated. And that means we're moving very slowly. We are not going in big to big traumatic memories. And we always have an exit strategy. We always have an exit door. The exit door might be for me, like looking at the trees out my window, but something that orients me back to my space and orients me back into safety and pleasure. And so we always have something that we come back to. So often Essie starts off with like us getting like touching into something that feels safe or the longer that we've done work together, I might be able to say, let's go back into that, that memory, that favorite <clears throat> memory of you sitting on the beach and seeing like the, you know, the fish moving in the water and and I can bring them back to that moment when things are getting too big. Because a lot of, you know, in the coaching industry, there's a lot of people doing somatic work, but they do it. There's often this really big cathartic component where it's like we do a big purge of trauma. Right. And, and sometimes that, that can be really great if you're, if you're a really well-resourced person. Like I could do it sometimes because I have lots of resources to take care of myself. But actually trauma, because trauma happens so fast, it's, it's often something that's too much, too soon, too big for our body. Flooding and overloading. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. There's too much flooding. We don't want a flood. So if we think of like a big iceberg, we don't want to melt a big iceberg. No, we want to like slowly thaw mm. it. Right. Because they're, like you said, there's too much flooding. We don't want flooding because then that's re-traumatization often. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to like touch into it a little bit. And often try to stay as much as we can with the implicit memory, the body memory, instead of going into the, the explicit of like, here, I'm going to tell you my like most traumatic memory, right? That's what you often do in therapy. That's what I've done in therapy. I go in and I say, here's all my medical trauma. Here's all my developmental trauma. And it's just like, and I can't feel any of it because I'm just, I'm just speaking it, it from like my floating mm. head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like my body's <laughs> following the story and I'm getting amped up. And so, you know, SC is really about, let's just pause right there and acknowledge that that was a really big moment for you. Can we just stay with that? And so it's nice and slow. It, <laughs> yeah. Is how, so, so with that then coming back to this piece about, about the importance of presence and like providing, providing a container for this work, how do you, how do you, how do you teach that? to the couples that eventually will need to provide that for themselves. You know, like how do you, how do you teach a person who is struggling with past trauma and their partner who is contracting because they feel like they're just constantly, you know, slamming against a, a wall <clears throat> to, <clears throat> to, to as a as a team find that presence with one another and 
and create that container within themselves. Because, you know, I'm guessing this is like, no one wants, no one wants to, no, no one in a relationship wants their relationship to just be, um, Conflict. Uh, uh, no, I, well, I, what I was going to say was like be a relationship that that needs to rely on therapy for its own existence forever, you know. So, like, like where does the where does that come in in terms of teaching the teaching the the patients who are struggling, you know, teaching them the ability to create their own container? Maybe that's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's a really great question, actually. Um, and for me, like my approach in my work has always been that I want to get people out of my room. Like how quickly yeah. can we resolve something to get you out of the room? And honestly, the, the, the structure of, of therapy is, can we keep you in the room for a very, very long time? Right. It's, right. it's built to like, you know, drop little nuggets of support or give you little things. But a lot of the people that I've worked with have already tried lots of you know, standard regular therapy where there's lots of talk and it moves, it moves at a pace that's, that's not actually supportive for their body. It's like, it's, there's, there's not a lot happening there. So I think with, with SE, well, especially with my approach is there's a psychoeducation. So we're doing an educational component. So I'm teaching them what I know, like everything that I know about the nervous system and how to support your body and your partner's body. I'm going to teach that to you. And then we're going to go through some exercises so that you can experience those things in your body. And then we're going to spend a lot of time just letting you be in your body without, without pulling you out of it. And so I think it, it, the psychoeducation component is so huge. Like in my own journey of healing, understanding what's actually happening in my body changed everything for me. I was like, oh, that's why my body does that every time my partner mm. does X, Y, and Z. Or that's why my body does this every time my mom responds to me in this way. And so for me, it actually shifted and changed my relationships across the board in my life. Like my mom and I weren't even talking. We couldn't even be in the same room. And then I started SE work and everything softened because I could see, oh, this is what's happening somatically. So instead of making up a story about it, right, we feel something in our body and we want to make sense of it. So then in comes the story. And then our, our fight together is the story mm -hmm. instead of slowing and noticing, Hey, your body is like, we're having a really hard time here in our bodies. Like maybe we can just slow and notice that. So, you know, I think the psychoeducation piece, I think is probably one of the best, com com the most helpful components in the work that I'm doing personally. Um, because I think people, sh there shouldn't be gatekeepers, I guess is what I'm getting mm -hmm. at. I think often in these, these healing spaces, there's, there's a lot of gatekeeping, like, I have all the education. I did all the work and now I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to like therapize you or I'm, I'm going to treat you, but I'm not actually going to give you the information that I know. So my, my hope, I, I want everybody to know everything that I know so that they can free themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, I actually have a, a question about shame and somatic experiencing. Um, because, like I said, Jeremy and I have a lot of these tools. And... I was in a professional meeting a couple of days ago with uh, someone I'm hosting a retreat with um, at the end of August. And she's like, she's like this powerhouse. And I have a lot of. um, She was my drama teacher. No, no, no. Well, actually, a different a different powerhouse. Oh, okay. A different powerhouse. I thought thought you were talking about Aaron. Sorry. No, no, no. And this woman is also a coach. She's a coach of like high level executives on like leadership and stuff like that. So we're having we're having this conversation and we're preparing our our um, our retreat together. And she gets me to stand up and do some exercises because she does this thing called brain gym. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's this really cool. A way of activating both hemispheres of your brain and like getting, you know, just like grounded and, and like efficient with your brain power. Anyway, so we did a couple of exercises and I had this moment where I was like, uh Oh, like I'm, I'm going to have some emotion here. <laughs> and it rose up and it expressed it myself through crying. And, and then she was great. She was like, this is the work that I do. And it's like, it makes sense when you cry and blah, blah, blah. But I got off the phone and, and even though I've like, I've done this before, I know this is a really healthy relationship that I have, but for the rest of the day, deep shame Mm. of having expressed that in a professional call, even though, we were talking about doing this work with other people. So of course it has an effect, but shame is the thing that I was thinking about all day yesterday with regards to this, because I think, you know, I have a lot of shame personally with, with crying because of how that, how I was told as a kid, like, that's not like be productive, like tell Mm. me what you're going, what's going on with you. But all I could do is cry. So, so yeah, like what about those, like, like body feelings that come after when you go home and you're just like, 
I bared everything and now I don't know how to put it back <laughs> and like carry on and function. Yeah. Okay. So I, there's a few things that I'll say to that. One, one is that shame is tricky because it's not like our other emotions. It's not mm. like sadness and anger and fear. Those are states that we move through, right? Mm. Shame is like a really heavy blanket that changes our structure, changes the way we move through the world, changes us on a cellular level. And because it's, shame is a, a cultural thing that we enforce, right? There's healthy shame and there's toxic shame, right? And so often when we're feeling that feeling, like you're saying, I, you know, afterwards, I just feel this deep shame. That's toxic shame, right? You were told crying, don't cry. Like just, you know, tell us what you need. Tell us what you need. Like, let's be productive here. And, and you crying isn't productive. And so that's shame, right? And, and often the thing about shame is that it doesn't actually belong to us. The person carrying the shame isn't the person mm. who's actually supposed to hold it. We're supposed to pass it back to the person who, who caused the harm. And, and all of us cause harm at some point, all of us shame somebody at some point. So we're all, we're, we're all really meant to be the carriers of our, our own shame. But the thing, the important component of shame is that we're meant to have that ventral vagal after, so that, that connection and care after. <clears throat> so with something like that, we want to offer our bodies an opportunity to actually renegotiate that trauma, the trauma of, I, I, it's not okay for me to cry. It's not okay for me to bear myself in this way. So we want to have you held by people who can tell you, you know, I receive all of you. I'm, I'm happy to hold all of you. I'm here. I've got you. And then it just allows you to actually be held in that. And so if you like go from a container where you are being held, but then you go home and it's like, oh shit, that was too much. Was it too much? Does she think that, was she just being nice? Like you're sort of running all through all of that. Right. Mm. So in that situation, I, like I would personally, I would call like a few friends and I, I would say, this is what came up for me. Can I just like feel it? No trying to save me, just like witnessing me in that. Um, and then I, again, that's like a, a situation where it was probably too much all at once. Mm. Um, so say for me, if I notice like an intense uprise is happening in your body, depending how long I've worked with somebody or what I'm, you know, what I'm noticing is coming up, we might slowly bring that energy back down and, and yeah, again, like orient you to your space or, or bring you back into something that feels more tolerable or more pleasant so that you're not flooded. Right. Cause that sounds a bit like you got home and you were flooded and it's like, mm. and now you have to level that out because now your hormones are all over the place. And <laughs> so now you need, yeah, there's like aftercare, right. You need aftercare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that having a, so having, you said you would, you would call a friend and say, I, you know, don't, don't try to fix anything. I, but I just need, I need, someone to hold this mm. for me. Yeah. And to let you know that it's okay to cry and that that's, that's how your body discharges. It's actually mm. a really important way to discharge energy. So is yawning. So is like running. So is stretching. I have like a yawn that wants to come on now. So those are, that's just your body discharging energy. It doesn't mean anything about you, right? It's like, good, your body's doing what it's supposed to do. It's saying there's a lot of energy in your body and it's got to go somewhere. It's outer mm. in. So if it goes in, we become ill in different ways. If it goes out, great. That's good. That's what we want. Energy moving out of our bodies. Mm. I read this great uh, quote and I don't know where I read it, but it was something about how energy or emotion is, emotion is energy in motion. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I think it that was, so uh, I think that was me. Yeah. I think I said that. That sounds like something brilliant that you would say. <laughs> 
Cat, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I'm I'm curious to know how did you how did you get into this work? Like, what what was your origin story? What what pushed you to do the work that you do now? Yeah, so that is a big one. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when I was a kid, so first I was raised by lesbians, so I had a very unique childhood. My family was from Kentucky, and my mom um, moved and had us in. Uh, in Canada, she did not want to raise us in the U.S. And uh, and then when I was, so my I had a twin brother. My twin brother, he was born with I think it was nine holes in his heart. So he ended up having um, three open heart surgeries uh, within the the first weeks of us being born. So the first I was born, and then my mom had to leave and tend to my brother at um, sick kids, and mm. and we were left with our other parent who was not a great parent, and then also a neighbor. So that's like, that's really, that's obviously very early attachment wounding. But then the next, the, I think really the pivotal thing for me was, you know, I was diagnosed with, um, CMT, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease when I was four. And then I went on to have 17 surgeries from when I was 10 until I was 16. And so I spent a big chunk of my childhood in the hospital. And so in a lot of pain Mm. (laughs) and a lot of not feeling like my body belonged to me. And I really was a guinea pig. They hadn't done these surgeries. Things kept going wrong and they'd have to go back in and do something else. So it was like, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And so I actually had my first orgasm while I was in the hospital in a lot of pain, which sparked something like, Mm. oh, pleasure and pain go together. And then I started sort of questioning, okay, if my body can be in this much pain, like if I can like be in so much pain that I feel like I'm dying, like surely my body has that amount of capacity for pleasure as well. And so my, my mom ended up leaving my, my, uh, my other parent, um, if she fell in love with somebody else in Waterloo. And so she was like, you know, we're, we're going to Waterloo. You can stay here or you can come with me. I was like, well, I just had a surgery. So I'm going to come with you. And so that like, <laughs> shitty parent move, like, come on, mom. <laughs> and so we moved to, we moved to Waterloo, but I couldn't get back into school. And so for the, for an entire semester, I was just at home. And so I would meditate every day and do yoga. And I was like, can, cause my doctor had told me like, this is it. This is the rest of your life. You're just going to manage this level of pain. We can like give like, and at the time they had me on like heavy narcotics, just like oh. like medication that no child should ever be on for that kind of period of time. So, so I went off all of the medication and decided to just see if my body could handle it. And I was like, surely if my body's feeling it, it can handle it. And it was true. And so at that time in my life, I realized I could change my relationship to pain and that like pleasure was, a, was going to play a big role in that. And so I was yeah, I was just like a big old slut. Like I lost my virginity when I was 13 and I just wanted to have sex all the time. And like, for me, that was, and it was, it wasn't filling a hole. It was like this, it really was for me, this like deep exploration of this other piece of myself, this, Hmm. you know, sex for me was where I got to meet myself in ways that I couldn't otherwise. And so, yeah, it was really amazing that I got, you know, something to learn, to learn that at such a young age. So that sparked it for me. And then I, you know, I became the friend that, you know, everyone came to, to talk about sex and, you know, I've never had an orgasm. Okay. Let's talk about how we can make that happen. And, and so I became that friend. And then when I was in my early twenties, my partner was like, you should just start coaching people. I was like, oh, I really, 
He's like, yeah, you should run a workshop. Cause I was trying to like raise money to go to this other event. And he's like, yeah, just run, run a workshop and see how it goes. And that's how it started. And then the, the SE piece came in because, um, a lot of my work was already body-based. We were already doing that because that's what I had learned in my own body already. Um, but I was seeing like, Hey, we're really touching on some things here. And I, I don't think I actually have like the, the tools. Like, I think I should have be more educated around what I'm holding and so then that's when I started that like SE training so that I, mm. I knew what's happening in the body and how to support people properly. How much it, like within yeah. that, that journey, um, and, and realizing that like you, you wanted to deepen your education, how much of the SE work, um, how important was the SE work for you, you personally in, in, in terms of like working through what's, what sounds like a pretty traumatic childhood. Yeah. Um, well, first I'll say I'm really, really resilient. I think like some people have a level of resilience online. That's like, you know, I, I had like, a, you know, I know they say like, if you have one person who believes in you and is supporting you. And for me, that was my aunt Lynn. And, um, yeah, I was always really resilient. So it never, like, I never felt really traumatized by all of those things, but what SE did was it helped me unthaw, like, like as an example, um, like in my SE training, you, you, sometimes the teacher, the teacher will do like examples of, of sessions. And so then somebody in the class will be the the person, like the, the, the client or the lender is what we call it. And so, mm. um, like I did a set, a lending session with anesthetic with my, my SE teacher. And it's really fascinating because when you call, so <clears throat> some of my anesthetic is around or some of my trauma is around like like anesthetic right general anesthetic but not local mm. so what we learn in SC is that you want local anesthetic as well or at least right because local anesthetic means that the area is being numbed so the body remembers right so even though i'm being put under i still have this sense like i'll try not to get too graphic into it but like i can like if i pull up that memory like i can get a sense of it now i can feel them like rooting around in my leg which is where i had the, the surgeries mm. so even though i can't like explicitly pull up the memory because i was you know knocked out i i can feel it i can feel it somatically and implicitly in my body and so se work helps us un unwind those things so there's these trauma patterns that show up that we're, we might not even be aware of. So say for me, I get chronic migraines. Like, uh, you know, I would not be surprised if that's connected to like this medical trauma or, uh, you know, I get like hypersensitivity to smell. Again, those things are connected. So SE work gave me the tools to actually like come back into my body and to be able to feel, feel parts of my body that I hadn't felt in a long time. So mm -hmm. my, you know, my left leg has been numb since I was a kid and that's like nerve damage. But really what it is, is the numbness was a way for my body to protect me from having to feel what was happening there. And so now I'm starting to slowly unthaw that numbing and get more sensation back. So it's big, like the SE work is just like there. I honestly, there's nothing like it. It's, mm. it's wow. like, it's so huge. Yeah. I've never, yeah. Uh, and all the therapies I've done and anything I've ever done, SE work is, is, has been the only thing that's ever been able to unwind the trauma patterns in my body. Hmm. Can you give us an example? So that's a physical, very physical trauma. Can you give us an example of like, you know what? I'll tell you today, it's been 19 years since my sister died in a car accident. And that was the first, 
I'm sure there were lots of little micro traumas in my childhood. I was 18 years old when she passed away. So my entire worldview changed. Like I was on the precipice of like graduating from high school, going out and like self-actualizing. And this death happened. And, you know, when I look back, this is 19 years ago, I look at my body and I go, I have an entirely new body. I am not, I don't have an 18 year old body anymore that, that, that is so far behind me. Now I'm 37, but I can still feel that something changed in me physically Mm. 19 years ago that I still live with. And I, I put my hands around my heart because that's where I feel it. But how, like, as a, as a client of yours, let's say, I can understand, like, you know, a physical injury that has created a barrier between me and my partner now because that, like, that I can directly f- understand. But the emotional trauma or the trauma that's, like, just in there somewhere around my heart muscle, like, how, how do you dress? What do you do? How do you coach someone through SE with sort of a, a floating, ambiguous pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, first I'll say physical physical trauma, emotional trauma, it's all going to have um, correlating symptoms, right? Your emotional trauma does have physical symptoms. You feel it in your chest. Mm-hmm. You know, you're saying like, you know, I feel it here. or And then you're calling it this floating, ambiguous, like, pain or however you said it. And so we would go into here, right? Because there still is pain there. And then for say, for me, like my physical trauma, my medical trauma is very emotional too, because mm-hmm. the, what was missing, not, so I had, you know, 17 surgeries and then like hundreds of like other medical procedures they, they weren't all traumatizing, mm-hmm. traumatic, but they weren't traumatizing. Mm-hmm. So some of them were traumatizing. And so we're looking at what, what was missing. So your sister passing away, that's like, that's such a shock to the system at a point in your life where you're expanding and opening and seeing possibility, you would have contracted, Mm -hmm. right? Everything would have just like come in like that. And it's, it's too much losing the, the loss of somebody. It's like, it's so deeply painful. And when it's a surprise like that, our body just, it, it's too much. And so it needs years to heal from that. And that's, we know like in the first year of trauma or after the loss of somebody, it's just like you're floating through life. You can't really feel anything. You're not really necessarily touching into the body because it's too much for this that trauma really slowly. And so it, it would be treated the same way that like, medical trauma would be treated or anything else. We would just go into the body and, and, and honor what's happening. What are you feeling? How are you feeling that? Um, like, how do you notice that, that ambiguous floating in your body? Where does it live? What does it feel like? What is the texture? What is the quality? And then we would probably work with time stamping it. This feeling belongs back in that moment, that moment where you lost your sister and you got the news, right? Mm. So it belongs back in that moment. So when you feel the flooding of it now, we want to start distinguishing between the difference, what belongs in that memory back in that moment. And what do you actually feel that belongs to this moment right now in the present? And so we want to start distinguishing so we can like, you know, give it back to that, that moment, basically. 
Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so, I have to think about that for a while because I often feel like the feeling is meaningful and important and telling me something about how to live now. Um, um, and like, I want, I like, like honoring it is, I really love that you say that because it, it, it was a, the physical sensations or the contraction, I guess, was really important at the time to protect. Mm. Um, but, but I, you know, I think that the experiencing, I, I guess, I guess just for the average person to know, to feel the difference in different parts of their bodies between expanding and contracting is, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm kind of blown away by, by what you're saying. Cause I just think it's such a gift, um, a gift to people. And when, you know, I go in to teach a yoga class and I want to be aware of like being trauma informed, I'm not trauma informed trained. Um, but like, like so many things you've said have, have really, um, resonated in terms of like creating a container and holding the space for people and being an anchor, being the, the settled body in the room. Um, but I want to give people what you're talking about, mm -hmm. which, which is just like, get in there and like, feel what you're feeling. I, I gotta be, I don't have the training you have, so I gotta be way more responsible than that. Mm. But, um, can you tell us a little bit about what the training of SE was like? And you told us a little bit, but like, how long is the training? What are they, what are the pillars? What are they? make sure that you go home with at the end of the day. <laughs> well, it's a lot. It's, it's really intense. So it's three years. The training is three years. You can speed it up if you, so the trainings, they're usually like, uh, it's four to six days long. And then there's like three months in between. You have to do your practice sessions with a, uh, like a registered practitioner, like somebody who's, um, registered with SE. And then you have to do your, um, your personal sessions, so pra uh, not practice sessions, uh, but consult sessions, sorry. So consult sessions with another SE practitioner, and then you have to do your personal sessions with an SE practitioner and then group sessions. So that's all happening in between the trainings. And then the trainings are, you know, it's just, they really blow my mind because it's, it's, it's just four days of being in your body. Mm. And honestly, <clears throat> I never suggest anybody to be in their body that long. <laughs> That's too much because we don't live in a world that actually really supports us being in our bodies. Our, mm. our world is too fast. When you look at capitalism and everything that's happening, there's too much pressure on us to perform and get things done that if we were in our bodies, all the, <clears throat> sorry about that. If we were in our bodies the whole time, it would be, it would be, yeah, flooding too much. Uh, mm. It takes a lot of work to be in our bodies all the time. So uh, most of the training is doing practice sessions with three other people. So you have somebody who is lending their nervous system, somebody who's, who's practicing and somebody who's observing. And then you have an assistant in watching you do that. And so you take a turn being each, each, each one mm -hmm. of those. And so it's, yeah, it's intense because one, you're practicing in front of a group of people which like I would, I'm never practicing, you know, I mean, when I do courses and, and workshops and stuff, mm. sure. But it's not practicing, <laughs> you know, I'm not. So 
And then you're letting somebody go into your nervous system and poke around, which is really intense. I, you know, I definitely have done some practice sessions where I was like, man, that was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. so, so intense. So now I'm like, I'm way more like, like I feel into like the people in the space and I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't want to practice today. Like I mm. do not want you poking around in my nervous system. So I had a couple, um, and people are practicing and so they're, you know, they're doing their best and that's the point. But, um, I remember I did a practice session, uh, mm. and a friend of mine who I met through SE, my friend, Evan, he's an assistant in the course. And so he was assisting in that. And I, this trauma came up because we, we went into drowning. So drowning and, um, at choking, poisoning, um, anesthetic, those sorts of things. So we go into like really heavy topics, like medical trauma. Like we're, we're going into these topics, talking about what's happening in the body when those things happen. And then we go in and we touch on any of our trauma that's connected to that. So for me, it's like every training I'm like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we were doing this. <laughs> I'll read. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> we're doing it. like i don't i don't want to <laughs> so we were doing this one where i almost i i was um sharing where i almost drowned and it was and i even right now i can get like a sense in my body so i'm noticing like my body like my throat feels like it's contracting i feel a bit like dizzy so this is like distinguishing it like noticing what's actually happening in the body for one as we're telling the story is really important because often we just tell the story and we don't notice what's happening somatically so in that, so that my a friend who's the assistant, he had to like step in and be like, okay, I'm here. So like, I feel like I'm drowning. I think I'm drowning right now. Like in the I was drowning. And so, so, so this is why wow. you want to be really mindful. Like we don't just like, like I would never in, in a, in a session with my clients just jump into their trauma, like, mm. because your body will bring you right back to that moment because that's a smart way of surviving the future, right? Like right. it needs to know, like, what did we do to survive then? We need to pull up those resources now. Mm. So um, yeah, back to the SE training. Oh. It's really intensive. It's, um, and it it's, sounds... it's a beautiful container because there's, there's, yeah, go ahead. It, well, it sounds like it's important that it's so intensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, most certainly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, definitely the most intensive thing I've, I've done and, and healing, like I've gotten so much healing just from doing the training itself. Yeah. And yeah, it's really powerful. I just want everybody to do it. You know, I yeah. want everybody to do the trick, like every, like, like layman's people, everybody, just because, you know, we all deserve to have that, this access. And it's not the same as reading a book because I've read all of the trauma books, you name it, I've probably read it. It's not the same as feeling it in your body. So we've got all the information information up here jeremy you were sort of you know touching on this earlier like like i know all the things mm. i know all the things i'm very smart i know all the things but why is that not landing here mm. because 80 percent of the of our neural pathways of the of the information that our our body and our mind are picking up on is bottom up from the body up and we do most of our processing most of our learning cognitively right in that 20 percent, we're doing like 90 percent, where really we should only be doing 20 percent of the work and so when we go and incorporate the body and bring the body back in and this piece, it's like the mind and the body together, then we actually get to do like the real processing. That's where it connects. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Kat, I got to say, this has been, uh, this has been really eye opening and a really, <clears throat> really lovely conversation. Um, <clears throat> if you, I, I would love for you to just share with our listeners, like where can, where can people find you? Where can people stay up to date with the work that you're doing? 
Yeah. So you can find me anywhere just under my name, Kat Nance. So my website is katnance.com. I'm on Instagram as Kat Nance and Facebook as Kat Nance. Um, I run long form workshops. So I do a couples workshop and then I do um, a course called Rewilding Pleasure. And I'm going to be offering um, a boundaries workshop soon. And I do lots of one-on-one work. Um, I have spaces opening up in July. So for anybody wanting to do any one-on-one work, uh, that's how you can find me. Amazing. We and will spread the word yes, loud and far. We, we certainly will. And that's Thank Kat Nance, N A N T Z. When you or are Z. When you're, or, or Z, depending on your uh, <laughs> formal education. Um, <laughs> Uh, Kat, uh, I want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. This really, really was great. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. There we go, folks. That was our conversation with Kat Nance. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you all so much for tuning in wherever you are tuning in from, whether that be Spotify Apple Podcasts, any of that shit. Um, And uh, if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, we would love if you left left a little rating and a review um, because it keeps us up on the charts there. And if you're uh, on Spotify, make sure you have hit the follow button uh, because that also is very helpful for us. So if that's one way you want to support the podcast, uh, we appreciate that. But there's also another way you can support the podcast, which you probably heard uh, in the middle of this episode. Uh, during the the commercial break. Friday, why don't you let the folks know how they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. More than ever, we could use uh, your financial support if you're in a position to do so on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash turn me on. And we've got some really cool Patreon exclusive merch we're going to be doing. You've already heard some cool behind the scenes stuff of uh, making of season three. And you'll just be able to rest easier at night knowing that you are supporting a couple of artists stumbling through the the podcasting and world journey um to bring you content that we hope that you find really entertaining and uh we'd be ever so grateful if you would um show us that with your hard-earned money that's right and actually uh one of the new tiers on our patreon uh for anyone who joins uh you get to be added to our personal close friends list on instagram and uh, already had some people added there on, on mine. Very excited. Thanks and welcome. welcome. Yes, um, we did have some new patrons sign on this week. We and uh, we'll give you a personal shout out by name uh, shortly. But I just by name and to- address. We will dox you next <laughs> week. Get ready for that. Get ready for the, the mail. Uh, all right, folks. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. That is it for this week. Until next week. Oh, why don't you go touch yourself? Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both 
in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.